Chapter Twenty Six of A Prairie Schooner Princess by Mary Catherine Mall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six, Trouble Brewing. The spring of eighteen fifty-seven was a time of promise for the Nebraska settlers. Timely rains had fallen. The few little fields of wheat and corn promised good harvests. Elk, deer, antelope, grouse, and wild turkey were abundant buffaloes came close to their settlement and they were fortunate enough to get many hides and much meat the sioux had fought a great battle with the whites at ash hollow and had been badly beaten and wanted nothing so much as peace fifty thousand dollars had been voted by congress to build a capital at omaha and fifty thousand more to build roads through the territory with the advance of spring more settlers began to come in there was now a little settlement at Beaver Creek, some five miles away, and during the summer several families located along the Blue, and a thriving settlement started up on the Little Blue, some three or four miles away, which was called Milford. Meanwhile, the friendship of the Peniman family and their new neighbors, the Jameses, were growing apace. To Mr. Peniman, the presence of a neighbor, a man who was concerned with the same problems, the same dangers, and the same experiments as himself, was a great boom. He now had another man to talk to, to plan with, to rely upon in case the danger of which he was in continual fear should come upon them. To Mrs. Peniman the companionship of another woman was a blessing almost beyond expression, and to the girls the presence of another young girl in the neighborhood brought a new interest in life. But it was to Lige and Joe that the coming of the new homesteaders brought the greatest significance. The James boys had always lived in towns and had a knowledge and sophistication of which the country-raised Peniman lads were entirely lacking. They had also had much better educational facilities, and there was much that Joe and Lige could learn from them. The four boys became staunch friends, and in talking with Herbert, Joe again felt his ambitions stimulated to study law. When the snow had gone and the bright spring sunshine had dried up the prairie sufficiently to allow of travel, Joshua Peniman proposed to Joe that he should go to Omaha in his place, have the wagon mended, and bring back some spring supplies. "'There is so much work to be done this spring that I don't feel that I can go,' he said. "'I would not like to have you make the long trip alone.' but the Jameses are needing some things, too, and you and Herbert can make the trip together. So it was arranged, and on a brilliant spring morning, when the sky arched like a bowl of sapphire above their heads, when the meadowlarks sang in the grass, and the wind whispered softly over the prairies, that here and there were already showing a touch of green, the two lads set off together. It was a long drive, and on the way they talked of many things. Herbert, who was a fine, quiet, serious-minded boy, was thinking much of the political situation of the country, which this spring was showing signs of much bitterness and agitation. "'I tell you things are in serious condition,' he said. "'We are going on indifferently living over a volcano, and it's going to burst out some day when people are least expecting it. Slavery is a curse that no civilized country can exist under.' 
are we going to keep quiet and let kansas come into the union as a slave state joe's eyes blazed of course we're not that would be a terrible thing he cried then what are we going to do about it are men like douglas going to blind the eyes and muffle the ears of the american people until we get all tied up in legislation that will give a preponderance of the western states to slavery when they reached omaha they found the entire community asking the same question on street corners in stores in halls churches meeting places of all kinds the question of slavery was being discussed not calmly and dispassionately but with a bitterness that was disturbing business separating families setting fathers and sons brother and brother apart joe listened to it all with a growing feeling of anxiety in spite of himself he found himself constantly being drawn into arguments contending hotly on a question that he felt keenly that he knew too little about in a store where the two lads went to buy their provisions they ran into a group of a dozen men or more who were hotly debating the slavery question they intended to do their trading and get out as soon as possible but the proprietor of the store was one of the principal arguers so leaning his back against the counter while he waited to have his order filled joe listened to the discussion before he was aware of what he was doing he had answered a tall gangly missourian with a tuft of whiskers on his chin who was arguing for state rights and the first thing he knew he was in the midst of a fiery controversy in which all the bystanders took violent sides among them was a man whose appearance had drawn his attention from the first moment he entered the store at his first glance it had startled him with a strange sense of familiarity then the argument had claimed all his attention and he noticed the man no more until having abruptly terminated his part in it he gathered up his provisions and was leaving the store when the gentleman stepped up to him i congratulate you young man he said holding out his hand you are a born orator it does my heart good to hear the young fellows of our country take the stand that you just did you are what i should call a real american i'm afraid we have some tough times ahead of us before this thing is over and it is to the young fellows like you that we may have to look for its settlement do you mean that you think it will come to war i begin to fear so there is too much of a pull being made by the slave owners and slave states and i regret to say by men in congress who ought to have a stronger sense of humanity and the country's danger i agree with you answered joe eagerly and before he knew it he was speaking out his thoughts to this stranger the long silent thoughts that had been forming themselves in his mind in the silence of the prairies when he had brooded by himself about the subject of slavery and the danger of secession when they had remained talking for some time the gentleman laid his hand on joe's arm i like you my young friend he said you are a boy of much promise come up to my office with me i am a lawyer i'd like to talk with you further joe hesitated he had much to do but something in the man's face and manner some strange haunting sense of familiarity the fascination of his presence his smooth and elegant manner of speech 
made an appeal to him that he could not resist. They went together to the lawyer's office, and Joe saw for the first time a real law office and a law library. When he saw the rows of shelves his eyes brightened. Oh, he cried, what a library! How splendid! How I should like to read them all! The lawyer laughed. I'm afraid you would find some of those books rather dry reading. They are all law books. A good many of them are reports. I know. That is what interests me so much. All my life my greatest ambition has been to be a lawyer. Is that possible? cried the gentleman, evidently much pleased. Well, well, so you would like to be a lawyer, would you? Why don't you, then? I am sure you would make a good one. Joe's face flushed with pleasure. There is nothing in the world I want so much, he answered. But we have a big family. My father is not a rich man, and we have recently homesteaded on the blue. There is an awful lot of work to be done by pioneers, and I don't get much chance to read. Then, after a pause, and besides, I haven't any books. Would you read them if you had? Yes, sir, I would indeed, Joe answered so promptly that the gentleman smiled. He rose presently and went to a case. Here, he said, taking down two volumes, here's a copy of Blackstone and one of Kent's commentaries. I'll lend them to you. Take them home with you, and after you have read and digested them, come back to me, and if I find that you have understood what you have read, I'll lend you some more. Joe's face crimsoned with joy. He stammered his thanks, and after shaking hands with his new acquaintance and promising to call upon him the next time he came to Omaha, he left the office and joined Herbert, who was waiting for him at the store. When he told him of his experience and showed him the books, Herbert whistled. "'Looks to me as if it was a lucky strike,' he said. "'Do you know who that man is?' I saw that he had taken a notion to you and asked about him. He is Judge North, one of the leading men of the territory, and the most prominent lawyer in the West. Joe was not surprised to hear that the man at whose office he had called, and whose books he carried under his arm, was one of the leading men of the territory. There was that in his manner and appearance that proclaimed him a leader of men. Absently he opened one of the books. On the fly-leaf was written in a bold, flowing hand, John M. North, Attorney at Law. Joe pointed to the last words. I hope to write that after my name some day, he said musingly. I'll be your first client, laughed Herbert. There's no telling but that you might, grinned Joe. I might have to get you out of jail some day. As they hurried back to the place where they had left the wagon, Joe was overjoyed to find Pashipato standing beside it. He greeted them with a broad grin. "'Me wait,' he said. "'Me no horses.' Joe grasped his hand and shook it with the cordiality of an old friend. Then he introduced Herbert, who looked with some astonishment upon this manner of greeting the red man of the plains. "'Pashipato is one of my best friends.' joe assured him he saved my life once and probably the lives of the family what are you doing here pashipato come trade skin what you do 
we came in to get some provisions and get the wagon mended it broke down in a blizzard last winter heap cold it was an awful winter father and sam almost got lost in the big blizzard then suddenly remembering did you know that eagle eye is dead he was coming to us bringing nina's dispatch box when the blizzard overtook him we found him dead not far from our house this spring aye eagle eye dead the indian's sharp face clouded heap good man then suddenly you know bout red snake no joe turned on him sharply what about him we have been awful uneasy ever since we knew that eagle eye got the box we have been afraid he would come to take vengeance on us for it he no come now said pashepato gravely then with a tone of surprise you know here no we have heard nothing we have been shut off there at the homestead with big snows all winter what do you mean red snake dead joe started and leaned forward staring into his face dead red snake dead how when where eagle eye kill him eagle eye killed him when many sleep ago shoot him with arrow joe stood as if transfixed staring into his face eagle eye heap white man friend pashepata went on i know he was i know he was he was our friend our good loyal friend we felt awful bad when we found him but how did it happen how did he get the box i wonder in his halting broken english pashepato told him the story as he had heard it from the men of his own tribe joe was deeply affected then he must have got the dispatch box after red snake was dead and was bringing it to us when the blizzard overtook him good faithful eagle eye we thought he was not grateful for all the folks had done in nursing him back to life but look how mistaken we were he was a faithful friend as pashepato shook his hand and rode away joe stood still in a profound reveille a relief so great that it was almost like the falling of a great load from his shoulders came over him red snake was dead the danger that had hung so darkly and fearsomely over them was now removed the menacing figure that had shadowed all their days and filled their nights with terror was gone for ever he could scarcely wait to get back home and tell the glad news to the family as he hurriedly began to load the provisions into the wagon two men in earnest conversation passed him we shall have war one of them was saying there is no escaping it the south is bound to secede the south is bound to secede the two lads turned and looked at one another and into the consciousness of both some strange presence seemed to fall war said herbert in an awed tone war repeated joe i wonder what it would mean to me End of chapter 26